0: Well, good morning and uh, thank you for the opportunity again to share with you in this series that you've been doing on the life of Christ. And of course our subject this morning is uh, holiness. Uh, there's a, an oldie but a goodie, uh, a book called The Pursuit of Holiness by Jerry Bridges and that I think was first published back in 1978 or something and uh, it was republished in 2006. But That's one book that God has uh, touched my life and I would recommend that one uh, to you as an excellent uh, book on this particular subject. Uh, The subject of holiness is not spoken about very much, the word holy is not used very much uh, these days. Uh, Within a church culture of course we hear those words, we talk about the Holy Bible, we talk about... Uh, at Christmas, the Holy Child. We talk uh, often leading up to Easter, we talk about the Holy Week. Uh, We refer to the Lord's Supper as the Holy uh, Communion. And, uh, of course, uh, Jesus promised us the the Holy Spirit. Uh, In the words of the 19th century Scottish theologian John Brown. Holiness does not consist in mystic speculations, enthusiastic fervours or uncommanded austerities. It consists in thinking as God thinks and willing as God wills. So neither does holiness mean, as it is so often thought of, as adhering to a list of do's and don'ts. And mostly in the past it was don'ts. When Christ came into the world, he said, I have come to do your will, O God. Chuck Colson says, Holiness is the everyday business of every Christian. It evidences itself in the decisions we make and the things that we do, hour by hour and day by day. The word holy has two primary meanings. The first, it means Transcendent majesty. It is otherness. The second, it means moral purity that God calls us to when He says, Be holy even as I am holy. There was a push in the 19th century theology to deny God His transcendence that set-apartness, that surpassing or excelling human experience and reduce him to only imminence. In response to this, there was an overreaction that made him only transcendent, not just other, transcendent, but wholly other. This meant that from a zeal to protect his majesty, but in the process, God was rendered unknowable because of that otherness and we'll come back to that in a few moments Peter in 1st Peter one fifteen to 16 says but as he who called you is holy you also be holy in all your conduct since it is written you shall be holy for I am holy God is holy so the command for us is to also be holy no none of us are perfect or holy but we are perfectly forgiven and made the very righteousness of christ in second corinthians we read god made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. If there's no other verse that you remember this morning, underline this one, because this is the key. Peter was talking about our conduct and that it should be holy. Our lives should reflect the holiness of God, for we are called his children. And children are supposed to be like and are supposed to imitate their parents. Now, when we hear this command to be holy, we do one of two things. We tend to brush it off as as impossible, or we have an image similar to John White in his book called The Fight. He said, "...when I put the word holiness into the murky depths of my mind, to to my dismay, I come up with all sorts of associations." Thinness, hollow-eyed gauntness, beards, sandals, long robes, stone cells, no sex, no jokes, frequent cold baths, fasting, hours of prayer, getting up at 4am, stained glass, self-humiliation. But that is not what God is calling us to. He is calling us to Christ-like Living. We are to be set aside for the service of the Lord. The person who is living the life of holiness will be humbly aware of their forgiveness and yet diligent in seeking to eliminate any trace of sin in their lives. This is the high road we must follow in the pursuit of holiness. At the birth of Jesus, the, answer, the angel answered, Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. In John 6:69, 6, we read, And we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. God placed his stamp on his child that he was holy and that he was the son of the living God. Even more compelling, however, is Jesus' own testimony concerning himself in John 8.46. He looked at the Pharisees squarely in the eye and asked, Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? As someone has observed, it was not their failure to answer his question that is so significant, but the fact that he dared ask it. Here was Jesus in direct confrontation with people who hated him, he had just told them that they were of their father the devil and that they wanted to carry out his desires and he asked this question. Surely if any of those people had any reason to point out to him some careless act or of his or some flaw in his character, that was the opportunity that he gave them. But the holiness of Jesus was more than simply the absence of actual sin. It was also his perfect conformity to the will of his father he stated that he came down from heaven not to do his own will but to do the will of him who sent him on another occasion he said my food is to do the will of him who sent me perhaps his highest testimony to his positive holiness was his statement I always do what pleases him Holiness has to do with more than mere acts. Our motives must also be holy. That is arising from a desire to do something simply because it is the will of God. Our thoughts should be holy since they are known to God even before they are formed in our minds. Jesus Christ perfectly met these standards and he did it for you And he did it for me. If someone called you holy, would you consider that a compliment or not? It would probably depend on two things. First, it would depend on whether or not another word was attached to the word holy, such as holier than thou or a holy Joe. In these cases the term would be considered derisive, it would be a negative connotation. And secondly, it would depend on the person's definition of holiness. You know, in the mind of many, holy means narrow-minded, it means uptight, it means judgmental, it means detached, it means Victorian and other type of negative words. In this case, being called holy would not be a compliment. But if you were called holy in the biblical sense, it would be a great compliment and one that might make you very uncomfortable. Of all the attributes of God, holiness is the one that seems to take centre stage. Most of you know that in the Hebrew language, to repeat a word is to emphasise it. For example, if you set a stone was big it would mean one thing if you said that the stone was big big you would mean it was a really big stone if it was big 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 it would mean that it was a gigantic boulder in Isaiah 6 and in Revelation 4 the angels declared that God is holy 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 This is the only attribute of God that is emphasised in this way. God is never called love, 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 or mercy, mercy, mercy. Therefore, if we want to know God, we must understand the whole idea of God's holiness. And to do that, we look at a case study on holiness. We'll look at this case study from Isaiah chapter 6, we'll see God's greatness, We'll see his goodness and man's unworthiness and we'll see God's provision. The best way to understand holiness is to look at this case study in Isaiah chapter 6. The setting is sometimes, sometime after the death of King Uzziah. Most of Uzziah's story can be found in Second Chronicles chapter 26. He was for the most part a successful king. We do know that Isaiah ministered during part of Uzziah's reign, but we don't know what kind of relationship that they had. We can only speculate on what Isaiah's state of mind was when he received a vision that is recorded in chapter 6. Perhaps Isaiah was concerned what would happen next in Israel. Maybe the vision had nothing to do with Uzziah at all. Anyway, Isaiah has a vision. And there are several things that happened in this vision. And the first is God's greatness. I saw the Lord seated on a throne high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke. Now notice the detail of Isaiah's vision. God was on the throne. Uzziah may have died, but God was still on the throne. Donald Trump may have been elected as president, but God is still. We let say. God is still on the throne. <laughs> the throne was high and exalted, which means that it is greater and exceeded above all other thrones. The train, just the train of his robe, filled the temple. I don't know why it is, but when a bride walks down an aisle, her dress often has a long train. Some of you may remember Princess Diana's train when she was married. Diana's train was so long that there were people there to carry the train of her dress. Why? It is a symbol of royalty. The train of God filled the entire temple. His royalty far surpasses anything we have known or even that we can imagine. At his side were angels. Their job was to give glory to the Lord. We know that these angels were beings that were without sin. They were pure, yet with their six wings, they covered their face and their feet. The symbols of their creatureliness are covered in the presence of the magnificent God. We make a mistake when we imagine that God's goodness is simply higher than that of the best human. It is in a class all of its own. Even the best people are flawed people. God's purity makes the sinless angels blush and seek cover. The angels praise the Lord three times holy. They declare that he is supremely holy. The shaking of the doorposts simply adds to the sense of awesomeness and power. These images are designed to point us to a majesty in God that should provoke reverence and awe. Brothers and sisters, true worship begins when we stop and gasp at the wonder and the power and the simple otherness of God. Worship begins when we catch a glimpse of His holiness. Secondly, we note that we see God's goodness and man's unworthiness. Isaiah's response is not what we should have expected. We would have expected him to say something like cool or wow. But Isaiah is not impressed or wowed. He is undone. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the king. The Lord Almighty. We see similar experiences in Matthew 14 25. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake, and when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out with fear. In Matthew 17, at the Mount of Transfiguration, we read, While he was still speaking, a bright cloud enveloped them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them and said, Get up, he said, Don't be afraid. When the centurion at the cross of Christ saw the earthquake, he was terrified. When the shepherds saw the angels at the birth of Christ, they were sore afraid. Any time someone gets a glimpse of Almighty God, they are terrified. Why? Because in Exodus chapter 33 verse 20, God said, No one will see me and live. God is so good that he will destroy anything sinful or unholy. So the first response of an unholy person to the holiness of God is an acute awareness of personal sin. When the unholy confronts the holy, we become very conscious of our own sinfulness. It is like we live most of our lives with some of the lights off and we are able to hide some of our sinfulness in the dark. But when we come into the presence of God, the darkness is gone and all that has been hidden is exposed. All our lives we feel as though we're doing pretty well because we've been comparing ourselves with each other. And when we compare ourselves with those around us, we usually can find a spot where those uh, who are seemingly worse than we are. However, when we compare ourselves to the standard of holiness, look out. At that time, the walls of delusion come crumbling down. This is why I believe that a person who has no sense of their own sinfulness has never really had a true sense of the nature of God. The person who believes that they did the right things to get saved has no awareness of how deeply stained they really are. We must be undone before we can be remade. The Holy Spirit has to awaken us to our sinfulness before we can be summoned into his grace notice somehow else uh, something else where Isaiah's conviction was that uh, what he was conscious of he was most conscious of his unclean lips now think about that what was Isaiah's greatest strength it was that he was a spokesman for God his lips would have been the one thing that fared well in the light of God's holiness but it was his lips that he saw as sinful Even in his greatest strength, he was undone in comparison to God's holiness. I hear people say at times, look, God can never save me. I've done too many bad things in my life. And I'm tempted to say to these people, you are closer to salvation than many who have been raised in the church all their lives. Because the reason is that they are aware of their sin. They are a step closer to the kingdom of heaven than the churchgoer who has often been trusting in their own goodness or in their own traditions. And so the third thing we note is God's provision. Once Isaiah realises his sin, notice what happens. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar, and with it he touched my mouth. And said, see, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. We read this and we're prone to say, ouch, because our lips are fairly sensitive. The angel takes a hot coal and touched it to Isaiah's mouth. Why? Why? He cauterizes the sin. Perhaps you have seen the doctor and had something cauterized. Cauterization is the process of sealing a wound or destroying abnormal or infected tissue with a heated instrument. In the movies, you see it when they put their hot knife in, when a snake is bitten. Have you seen that cauterization that takes place? God cauterizes Isaiah's lips, He eliminates the impurity. Isaiah's guilt is taken away, but it is not shrugged off. God doesn't say, oh, let's just forget it. Instead, he tells Isaiah that his sin is atoned for. In other words, it was paid for. Now, how is this possible? It was paid for in Jesus. How can this be, you ask? Isaiah lived many hundreds of years before Jesus. But the promise had been made. The plan was in place. God forgave Isaiah on the basis of what Christ was going to do hundreds of years later. Just like he is willing to forgive you and me on the basis of what he has done many hundred years before. When Jesus, the sinless son of God, died on the cross, he paid for our sin. God's justice is satisfied, sin is punished and he is also able to extend mercy on the basis of Christ's substitution. The reason we are called children of God is not because we are good but because we are forgiven. We are forgiven not because we were among the best of the class but because Christ died For our sin. After Isaiah sees God's majesty, he's confronted with his sin. He finds forgiveness through the sacrifice of Christ. We read, When I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? and I said, Here am I, send me. We see God's summons. The Lord is now looking for a messenger. Isaiah, who has been transformed by grace and made alive by the mercy of God, volunteers for service. R.C. Sproul points out at that point that Isaiah didn't say, "Here I am." That would be to identify his position. Instead, he says, "Here am I." He offers himself as a living sacrifices, as a living sacrifice, if you will. Uh, along with Romans 12.1. Isaiah is now willing to serve, not out of obligation, but out of gratitude and out of a desire to exalt God's glory. Isaiah wants the world to know the greatness of God. He's not concerned about promoting his school of prophets. He's not concerned about his system of financial management or his course on public speaking. Isaiah is concerned with one thing, to honor the one who is most worthy of honor. And so we come to some final observations, sorry, some final observations. And these are three. Firstly, it should be obvious that there is no better way to use our time than to use it for God's glory. There is nothing better. There is no one greater than the Lord. He is our life, our hope, our joy. To run after and serve anything other than the Lord is foolishness. And that brings us to the point of searching our own own hearts and turning away from the trivial pursuits that often occupy our time and energy and to examine our hearts in what we do, whether it is seeking God's glory or our own selfish ends. Secondly, we need to take personal holiness seriously. We spend a good deal of our lives trifling with sin. I know I find myself compromising with the unholy all the time. We push God off to the side when we feel he is getting in the way of our enjoyment or about our entertainment look i know that taking holiness seriously means significant change in our lives and like you i resist it however if we understand god's mercy and grace at all we have and if we have any sense of god's holiness we will not want to purge all that is profane from our lives. It is time to do a personal inventory and to make changes. To make changes in our entertainment. Changes in our use of time. Changes in the way we spend our money or the way we talk or the way we do our job or the way we treat others. It's not because we make New Year's resolutions it's because we have seen a vision of God's holiness and his glory and we want to take it to the ends of the earth we want to share that that vision and that picture with others finally we need to stop comparing ourselves to others and start measuring ourselves by the correct standard when we measure ourselves by God's standards we see ourselves truly yes it often hurts and facing the truth is painful But we must accept responsibility for our behaviour. But the amazing thing about the Gospel is that it tells us that because of what Christ has done on our behalf, if we admit our sin and turn to him for mercy, we will find it. Our holy God will cover us with the righteousness and goodness of Jesus Christ. Indeed, God is great. God is good. Let us renew our devotion for the rest of our lives in giving him thanks and seeking his glory in all that we do. I've given you on the outline of what we've shared, a few statements about holiness from from scholars over the years. I trust that you'll reflect upon those and in your reflection upon the holiness of God, you'll be overwhelmed with his glory. Let's bow together in prayer. Let us pray. Father as we have come under your word this morning you have convicted us about our own unholiness and our unworthiness we do not claim Father uh, to be worthy of your great love and of the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you Father that we have been confronted afresh that he who had no sin has been made sin for us that we may become the righteousness of God. Father, help us to apply that to our lives so that we can walk with confidence in the week ahead. Father, that we can walk uh, free of guilt. We can walk with a passion for life to be able to share the glory of God with others and to share the wonder of his love and of his mercy and his forgiveness. May God himself The God of peace sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. For the one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. And the people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you.